Hey, and welcome to Product Journeys. I'm Frank Leisner. And I'm Lachlan Robertson. We're both product owners stumbling our way through our product journey. We're out to meet amazing product people and learn a bit more about their skills and their experience. Today, we get to hear all the amazing insights from Phil Metcalf. Phil has worked in product management his entire career. That's 15 years experience in enterprise startup and consulting environments, building successful products and healthy cross-discipline teams. His roles have taken him from New Zealand to Melbourne, then New York and Los Angeles. He's passionate about lean product development, user-centered design and extreme programming practices, and is always pushing for continuous learning and improvement in his role and across his teams. Alrighty, Phil, welcome to the Product Journeys podcast. It's very nice to have you here. We usually start with your background, how you got to where you are. So start us off with that. Cool. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm Phil Metcalf, born and bred Kiwi, born in Tauranga in New Zealand, then moved to Auckland during early high school years, studied business commerce and degree in Auckland and double majored in small business management and marketing. I've worked in product management my entire career, so trying to age a little bit, but that's about 15 years or so now. I'm really intrigued. 15 years ago, was product management a thing? How did mm. you discover it? Because it's not something you study. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think about this a lot. I joined a, a company called Census with, a, with an S in Melbourne on a graduate program at the end of university. I, I left New Zealand and moved to Melbourne to take that opportunity. They're like a marketing services company. They owned, at the time, their kind of hero products were the Yellow Pages Australia and White Pages Australia. And this was the years catching the end of this great thing that had been this book that used to get delivered to everyone and the growth of digital. So the yellowpages.com.au site was top 10 website in Australia, pre-iPhone or around the time of the iPhone. Really interesting time in technology and in our industry. But they had roles on their teams called web producers, which is like this old school title for a non-engineering type role, but works really closely on software. Essentially, it's what we know as product management today. I had what was called a fix and maintain capacity. It was me and just a couple of engineers on yellowpages.com.au. And we were working on reducing the number of repetitive customer issues on the site compatibility with browsers but was also responsible for releases going out and it was like a release cadence every 12 weeks but they were like really big events and you'd stay back late and you get like pizza with infrastructure team and would take the old site down for as little time as we could and release the new one and i eventually moved into another producer role working on the yellow pages ipad application at the time around the time the ipad came out which one of australian mobile award as well which is really a really great achievement but there were product managers at, at Census and on Yellow Pages, but I remember they always sat on a different floor to the engineering teams and they worked, they always seemed to be busy on business cases and they'd come join for like a go, no-go meeting because it all safe, are we good to release? And I remember explicitly, they used to wear suits as well, which is just something that has stuck out in my memory all these years later. I always used to find that a little bit odd because 
no one used to see what we would do. So why are you wearing a suit? Something I love the most about what we get to do is I don't have to wear, wear a suit. Like, yeah. tech software companies, that's the given, right? No suit, mm-hmm. no yeah. suit policy kind of thing. It's always yeah. like sales marketing. Or, I don't know. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I couldn't really explain it. I think the technology leadership team had a few ex-thought workers. So I was very fortunate to work somewhere with Scrum and Kanban and Agile to a certain extent, like peer programming iterative sprint-based development with those releases every 12 weeks, even though that seems a bit crazy in a continuous delivery world we live in today. That was a really big deal back then. And and I was very fortunate. I was like my very first role was in that environment, sitting with those engineers and those design team members and doing what it is we like to say we do in, in product from a really early role in my career. It was kind of like product 101, which was really nice. Didn't realize it at the time, but essentially, yeah, it was it was very much what I ended up doing for the rest of my career. Yeah. And you, you obviously enjoyed that enough to keep going. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> one of those things. It's like, how do you get into product, right? And how do you how do you go study it? Everyone's got their own version of that story where they have their first product role. And I was very much in that boat. My dad ran a family business, which is why I chose small business management as one of my majors. We always had a computer in the house. I was always messing around with small little like fan sites for a favorite band I had or whatever it might be. Crafty kind of uses of the computer trying to understand how does this internet thing work, but no one ever tells you, hey, it's actually a job. And and so it was very exciting to join this huge multi-billion dollar company at the time. Really nice offices, great culture, great people. And to land on this graduate program, be exposed to that. I remember walking the floor on on that first day of orientation with all these other grads. And you kind of was like, hey, what are they doing? (laughs) Like, that looks cool. I was like, okay. And after the rotation finished, I was very vocal that that's what I wanted to go and do. And yes, I feel very fortunate to have worked in that environment. That's yeah. Real difference to running a small business. Yes. Well, I think like going down the product management. Yeah. Mum and Dad came to Melbourne, and the first thing they came to visit, I remember. uh, So uh, very excited to be there and blown away. I think by this huge office we were in. But I think my dad, at the same time, was this crushing feeling that I was. It was going to be very difficult to give me back to New Zealand and help carry what he had built out of out of our garage, essentially. But that's okay. They're very supportive and understanding. And so from there, a few of us left that environment and joined a startup funded by Qantas. This is in Melbourne as well. And I was a foundation team member there. I was the first product hire, along with a number of engineers. And essentially, Qantas invested this money to build a standalone accommodation booking engine and, and white label it across flight booker, sales funnels for Qantas flight travelers, Jetstar, they also own. And then we also attempted to build our own standalone accommodation booking business, mostly targeting Australians. And that was like Startup 101, which was really another amazing opportunity, learning all about um, trade-offs. It was a really big deal, but also building culture from scratch, technology choices, and how they can come back and bite you building teams along with building culture and also applying this early concept of lean thinking. The lean startup came out in in those years in this build, measure, learn. Someone articulating what we were all kind of feeling and hoping and striving for was a really big deal at the time. Within, I think by year three, we were, were profitable for the Qantas group, which was a big deal. And I'd say one of the main takeaways I have from that memory is that Greenfield's tech stack. So we adopted AWS quite early on and everything was cloud native 
full automation in terms of test coverage and release pipelines. And I remember one day Alan Joyce, the Qantas CEO, still the Qantas CEO today, I believe, he was like, what's this thing we've gone and spent a couple of million dollars on or whatever, I'll go pay them a visit, 30 people in a terrible office in downtown Melbourne. And we had a physical release button that just sent a call to our Jenkins pipeline that deployed to production, the latest green build. And he came one day and he pushed this button and we got photos of Alan Joyce, the Qantas CEO, shipping to production in this pipeline that we were so proud of. That was essentially unheard of at Qantas, given the state of their technology and the legacy that they had to maintain. And obviously the software surrounding flights is very complicated and, and high risk if it goes wrong. So that was just a really proud moment. I left that environment and moved to a company called Pivotal Labs in New York. I got a product role consulting there. and. Their whole thing was about sustainable pace. They explicitly didn't want to bill their clients more than 40 hours a week for each person. Huh. They were like, if we do that, we have failed you. That's not what you're paying for. You're paying for people to show up energized, refreshed, engaged every day. And the way they're going to do that is they're going to go home at five o'clock and they're not going to take work with them. And that's how we're going to be successful. Amazing. Consulting yeah. is so unusual. Yeah, 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 yeah. At Pivotal Labs, I learned very much all about like teaching. I'd gone into a little bit of people leadership there on our product team in the New York office. And they're thought leaders in agile and lean and user-centered design and, and extreme programming. And like it was like going back to school again after being in these other environments where you feel like you've already learned it all, but you've done the enterprise thing, you've done the startup y thing. And then you go back and you go, okay, now you've got to actually teach people this. And the measurement of success for them is can a new hire be on a client engagement within a week paired up with a client product manager leading the backlog shipping software for whatever it is which we're working on together when you think about that that's quite an interesting <laughs> measure what needs to be true right for that and i experienced that firsthand i landed in new york with my wife on the sunday started at pivotal labs on the monday morning and by wednesday afternoon i'm on this natural language processing investment product thing with JP Morgan, one of the biggest banks in the world. I'm staring at this backlog and Pivotal Tracker, their version of backlog management, release management. And I got an engineer saying to me, like, what are we going to work on next? <laughs> and the client product manager asking me, so how do we do prioritization? What are we going to do? There's so much to do. And I was just like, okay, this is crazy. But I realized looking back on that, I passed the interview remote from Melbourne as well because of these practices that I've been able to apply in these different environments and that leadership I was working under where that was really incentivized, I realized quite quickly, oh, everything I said in the interview, I demonstrated I could be in this moment on the Wednesday. It wasn't perfect. Like I didn't even know how to get back to the subway, back to the Airbnb I was staying. I didn't know where I was going to live. My wife's like, hey, we don't have a bank yet. There's all sorts of craziness going on. But you kind of look back and you say, okay, these values and these principles and these practices, they are transferable. They, they are solid. And not everyone gets a chance to experience that. And you do have to have a little bit of faith in it and always be adjusting and evolving yourself. Their big thing was about the power of that trio. So product engineering design together. And that was an incredibly exciting, overwhelming, but exciting environment to go in. Moving into consulting was something I had at the back of my mind. I should try to do this before my career is over. And 
it was very rewarding. Again, it was lovely though to be at a place that valued sustainable pace and culture and quality over quantity and outcomes over output and all those things. And that was how I got into consulting and, and ended up in New York. And just to kind of round it out, there was a real problem statement. It always came down to the tooling, it like sucked. And you couldn't ever ship anything out to customers easily. No matter what we built, you couldn't get out the door. And it was the most frustrating thing ever. And so Rob Mee, the CEO of Pivotal Labs, refactored the company into Pivotal and invested in Pivotal Cloud Foundry. He built essentially a developer tool for cloud native application delivery that can be deployed on any cloud provider or your own stack, which so for the banks and stuff is a huge deal because they couldn't just pay AWS to do everything for them. That was too big of a leap. And then he sold it to Pivotal Labs customers as a SaaS product. It was incredibly successful and Pivotal Cloud Foundry took a lot of investment and grew around the world in terms of offices and development teams, and then eventually IPO'd on the New York Stock Exchange, which was a really awesome day for everyone. And then there's a product leadership role in Santa Monica because they were struggling to hire people in San Francisco because of the way San Francisco at least used to be. Things are different since the pandemic, it sounds like. But um, a lot of people were hiring in LA and they started to call it Silicon Beach. It's like Snap and Google and YouTube and I don't know who else is there. There's lots of cool different things. So they were like, cool, let's start a Pivotal office there. And so I went and worked on this developer tool, Pivotal Cloud Foundry, and built out product and design teams in, in Santa Monica. So that was my last previous role before moving to Zero and moving back to New Zealand just before the pandemic broke up. So early 2020. So yeah, that's right, kind of, quite a journey. that's my yeah. career arc, I, I would say, at least to where we are today. Yeah, those sound like incredibly different experiences as far as the skills that you need to bring. You mentioned at the top, a small business, having one in your family, and that's what you studied at university. Now you work at zero, which that's arguably (laughs) what we're looking to help do is is help small and medium businesses. So it was quite nice. (laughs) Yeah, I often think how much more successful my dad might have been if zero existed. And the, the challenges he had and how Zero essentially has solved for them. And what we used to observe as kids, those challenges he was having, and that emotion and that stress and that burden and his responsibility to provide and all of that stuff. And and Zero has taken a lot of that away and is absolutely worth the subscription fee for that. And I talk to him about this a lot, whether it's just basic tax stuff or payroll like the payroll side of things used to be such a massive stress for my dad when he started taking on employees and no i'm a bit biased because that's what i'm working in at zero but it's very very almost it's personal and i don't want anyone any child to have to worry about their parents or anything like that ever again and hopefully we can help all these small business owners with that so yeah definitely has come full circle for sure yeah it must be pretty amazing for you as well, speaking to customers and, and hearing their stories and really yeah. being able to connect yeah. with that if they're zero solving those problems for them yeah. as well. Yeah. Hearing customers say zero, say my marriage, my parents are still together and, and I just think about how hard it was. And yeah, when I hear customers say it, I'm like, yep, I, I'm, I'm, I can relate to what you mean as a family member of someone in that position. So yeah, it's been two and, two and a half years at zero and we used to be called the business products portfolio. Now we're connected workplaces and I look after the team, Xeremi Mobile, which is our employee offering for employees of our small business customers, zero expenses, 
and then our time domain and employee platform teams who essentially own and support parts of Xero's payroll offering, which is obviously a, a huge product and plays a very critical role in the life of these small business customers. So a lot of responsibility on that one. One of the questions which we always try and ask is, how do you describe what a product manager does? <laughs> obviously worked at a variety of different flavors of that but (laughs) so i do think it's important to differentiate product management from product manager if you start with product management product management is the art science and practice of making successful products and making products successful so i really like this because it covers off greenfields but it also covers off existing products and it's not software specific as well So it covers hardware and software. And I think the word success is in there a lot. And I think it's really important to highlight product success. My mind is user adoption, customer satisfaction, and then business impact. And so I try to talk about product management in that way. And then when we think about the product manager role, I boil it down to define the product and coordinate actions across a team and organization to enable its success so again it's not specifically about software i think that's really important but also trying to separate the actual art of product management from the role of product manager because there are aspects i think of product management that come and go based on the environment you're in i.e are you building wheelbarrows or are you building software and it's important to say that I think the product manager role might be the same, but I think the nature of product management in those environments does change a little bit. And with the product manager, do you also talk about that culture or that team, which is obviously not product management? I mean, you've got to have yeah. those things behind it, but that yeah. seems to me like a differentiator as well. Yeah, I think what are the traits of a typical product manager? I think one of them is empathy or really deep care for your teammates, for your customers, for users, for your stakeholders as well. Sometimes the most difficult part, but then also humility. And some people might say, oh, no ego, but can you put emotion to the side? Do you celebrate failure? Do you prioritize learning and growing? And then I think maybe the other one that is not always obvious, it's called high agency. So can you find a way to get what you need or what you want without waiting for everything to be perfect. The best PMs I've worked with have this incredible agency and this ability to just navigate a world of constraints and progress, whether it's for their team, maybe it's actually the specific product outcome they're trying to ship, maybe it's something the stakeholders, whatever it is. I think that's incredibly important to recognize, but also try work on as well as product people. It's interesting you say that because one of the, the classic Kiwi traits is that number eight wire, get in there mm. and just make it happen type of thing. And I was just thinking, I was mm. like, huh, I wonder if Kiwis are like naturally good <laughs> yeah. at product management type of thing. But that's yeah. just us playing I think around. It, around. <laughs> the traits, I think, are different to skills though as well. So communication is a skill. Traits are you could meet me again in 20 years and I'm still a very similar human. What is, what's that kind of genetic makeup of Phil, as opposed to these skills, I might have gone and learned amazing communication or empathy or decision-making. No one is born with decision-making. 
as a trait, I feel. So I do think they are slightly different. Is, is that trait like a value more than, or a, yeah. so something that maybe is more innate to your personality and how you've been brought up and your experiences? I, I think so. I think so. And it's not to say only people with these traits can be product managers. That's kind of my point. I think there are a, a, a number of skills that can be learned in these roles. Yeah, I suppose what, what skills do you think, leaving traits aside, are the skills that mm. should be focused on for somebody yeah. who's new or... Yeah, there are two that come to mind. I think the first one is communication. <clears throat> and I, I do believe this is something that can never really be mastered. It's clear when someone is really good or really effective and someone that isn't, but being effective is also knowing when to not communicate or to when to communicate less. One of the ones that always gets me is, do you know the subject so much that you don't need a script? when presenting. So I do think that is a really important kind of litmus test for how am I going as a communicator? When was the last time I was put on the spot and how did I do? How do I feel? Did that person get what they need? But then also as product people, I think you have to balance this emotional attachment that we get to the direction of the team or decisions that have been made and being able to communicate that direction or those decisions, but then open to learning more and being critiqued and like iterating, I think ultimately it does come down to when you're communicating, are you inviting critique, opinion in order to learn? Or are you saying, I figured it all out. This is what we're doing, just letting you know. And maybe there's moments where you need that, but I would say most of the time in our product roles, we probably need that collaboration. And so being able to communicate in those moments is really really important and that will change based on whatever your environment you're in as well i'd say my second skill i would say for a new product owner product manager is facilitation and decision making and i I do think it does go hand in hand with communication but potentially it is the number one skill being able to hold a room or a call these days and bring others together from all disciplines and help them essentially effectively communicate and collaborate together. Are you applying two by twos? Are you doing some sort of dot voting? Like what are you doing to capture everyone, facilitate, keep things on track and provide essentially clarity to others? And the so that is typically so you can build some sort of velocity, whether it's in the delivery of your work or maybe it's velocity towards being able to have a backlog, have a roadmap, have some clarity on that. How often do you see these skills presented? Because they seem, as you said before, you know quite quickly, I think, if people have got it. But how common is it? How common is it? I think over the last few years, we've added a few different exercises into the product hiring of the areas that I've been after. One of them tries to essentially have the candidate replicate those moments where there is clearly an outcome to get to how we get there is up to them and everyone in the room is really keen to collaborate go and very quickly in that process you can understand this person has experience and they're comfortable with this and their content might not be perfect but that's actually not what we're looking for we don't actually care what solution they came to okay could they actually complete this work with everyone in the room so in terms of how common is it there's no real pattern i think but that you just reminded me of that interview process and how we, we do actively try to look for that, at least in, in our area. Yeah. 
So uh, to sort of replay that is less about the yeah specific tools or frameworks that that person might bring to the the interview, more about just can they help get yeah. things forward and get to the point. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating as well how quickly that you can see that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it always feels like a bit of a test. And I think someone's gone and put that exercise online, maybe on Blaster or something. So we've like mixed it up a little bit, but people don't realise that we don't care about the solution. And so they they're talking online about the oh they asked me to do this, and so this is what I did, and it's a little product idea challenge, and we care about how, what what tools and methods did you apply, and what would you like to work on whiteboard with or in a mirror, and it's really interesting. Yeah. Vibing off that, tools, frameworks, do you have any favorites, any that you'd want to share with people or at least you you find you use more than perhaps others? Yeah, I think there's a simple one that comes to mind and it's it's retrospectives. So it really pains me to learn that teams don't value or when teams don't value retrospectives or they're doing them but they're getting no value. Could argue this is a responsibility for the whole team, but I actually feel like the product manager plays a critical role in this. Often, is that kind of pseudo lead role? It might not be people leadership across everyone, but people do look to product for direction and clarity. I do feel the success of your product is enabled or hindered or limited by the success of your team. And I think retrospectives are more or less the one tool that can be applied in nearly every situation, whether things are going well or not. It's definitely the thing that I think has opened my eyes the most. I've only been a year or two in product and retro is the thing that I kind of pass on to everyone, even if they're not working on software. I'm like, do retro, you're working on projects, do retro. Yeah, they're just, there's something about them, isn't there? I don't know whether it's that kind of openness to everyone to learning and, and wanting to make things better in the future. It's, yeah. It embodies empathy for everyone else's experience. So what you thought might have been amazing might not be amazing to someone else. That's incredibly important to understand in a team environment. But then I'd also say continuous learning or continuous improvement is absolutely critical to the success of a team, no matter if it's a sports team or a leadership team or a software team, whatever. I said to my wife once, I was like, oh, maybe we should do a retro for where things are at with us. And she was like, no, not going to happen. So we've, we've figured out other ways to do that. <laughs> not more of those post-it notes. It's um, yeah, it's, that's a fascinating tool that you bring out and I think for me the really interesting part is not just doing the retrospectives but also making space within your team to actually follow through with the actions yeah. and actually yeah. make the change 100%. as well yeah yeah good point yeah but then again maybe a team loathes them because oh we don't have enough time for these actions but again what's the team need it doesn't have to be this 20 actions came out of last week and now we've got all this pressure to deliver them. It doesn't always have to be like that. Definitely not. I mean, <laughs> time is an excuse. is always a real one to question. What is the biggest lesson that you've had throughout your 15 years in product management? This is probably where I get a little bit more quite opinionated. I call it a separation of concerns. So I feel like my career genuinely changed for the better when I embraced understanding the developer experience and the designer experience of my peers. And that's both as a product person on those teams, but then also in a product leadership role. And I feel like the impacts are quite apparent when product team members are choosing not to understand a day in the life of their designer or their engineering peers. 
But there's actually so many skills and opportunity and learnings to go after to enable yourself to be a more effective PM over a longer period of time and more effectively do your job in those relationships and in those learnings. As a product team member, do you understand how the code works? Oh, we've got this priority CX issues. Are you diving in as well? Have you seen how complicated the codes become? Have you paired with your designer on the outcomes of the usability test and looked at what failed and what, how did we end up there and what are we going to do differently? And I feel like it's way too easy in our industry to go really siloed and be like, oh, that's product and that's an engineering challenge. And there's a huge opportunity to factor in all those learnings, that exposure, that empathy, and actually shape your product role on the team. Like, how do you make decisions? How do you relate to your teammates and their needs? And I think it's probably, to me, it's the biggest lesson from my career. Then also, I feel like you can see it in teams where it doesn't exist as well. And it's, it is a big gap, I think, in how decisions are made on those teams. So, yeah, that would be it. That's um, awesome. <laughs> a, a great lesson. The other question there was around your greatest accomplishment. You, you gave an example before around working at Pivotal Labs and sort of developing products. Yeah, I look back very fondly on that time. I do have to say, though, I'm like, really, I am very proud of my team at Zero. The practices and the teams that have been built, many didn't exist a year ago, two years ago. We have this amazing group of product people with really strong leadership, especially female leaders across our disciplines, which is really awesome. And we have this strong hiring process and continuous learning, I think, is the default. And I'm, I'm very, very proud of that. So shout out to any of the team if they're listening. <laughs> so good. I love also that thread of empathy and people, actually, because it sounds like it's something that's obviously been really important in each of yeah. your places you've worked. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel very fortunate to have had some of the people leaders I've reported into as well, and I've learned a lot from them and try to pay it forward, so to speak. Yeah, love it. Let's finish up with some rapid-fire questions to, cool. to bring us home. Favourite book or article that you'd recommend? Right now I'm reading a book called Build by Tony Fidel. He joined Apple to deliver the iPod and then led the iPhone team, and he left Apple to create Nest, he calls it mentorship in a box, and I highly recommend it. Wicked. Go-to podcast that you're listening to? There's a podcast called Song Exploder, which since 2014 has been like breaking down songs with musicians and explaining how they're made. Something I'm also passionate about outside of work, but just getting that insight into what happens in the studio. And the last one, or maybe a couple of months ago, had had Madonna on it with her producer covering Hung Up from 2005, and so it was cool. like so, so good. So... I recommend that. Now. Yeah, and there's a series on Netflix. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So highly recommend it for those who haven't already got onto that one. Sounds awesome. I think you're most grateful for. Yeah, I, I would say probably my health, I'd say, both physical and mental. I've had some mental health challenges over the last 12 months due to a number of things and continue to put a lot of work into that. I would highly recommend Zero's AP offering. It's been absolutely fantastic. Happy to talk to anyone who's listening that wants to talk more about my experience with that. But yeah, I've got two young kids sitting, settling into life in New Zealand. Hasn't been that easy, I'd say, given the last couple of years being away for, for quite a long time. Um, but yeah, so much to be grateful for and just learning that physical and, and mental health and like exercising mental as well. Because physical is more important than ever. So yeah. That's cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Phil. I think it's something we don't talk about that much. Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah. Cool. Um, are there any other takeaways or 
call to actions that you want to share? Or... I, yeah, there's, I guess just if anyone listening wants to learn more about anything I've spoken about, just reach out on Slack. Keen to support all of our amazing zeros where I can. So, yeah, nothing, nothing specific other than that. So, yeah, thanks.